Hey, I'm Tommy Kasher. I'm not sure how you came across my podcast, but I'm so grateful that you've joined me. This all started because I have a passion for interviewing people, learning new things, and seeing life from a different perspective. Hopefully you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. If you did enjoy it, please leave a review and subscribe. If you didn't enjoy it, please don't leave a review. Now that we've got the housekeeping out of the way, let's get into it. Daisy Richardson. Daisy, mate, how are you? Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Tommy, I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, no worries, mate. I'm good. I'm good. So, obviously, anyone who's listening will already know by now, they know you because you were on, I guess, the last two seasons of Survivor. You were on Champs vs. Contenders, and then you went back-to-back. You jumped straight into All-Stars, which we'll get to in the chat. But like everyone else, you're in isolation at the moment, and or self-lockdown, whatever we want to call it. What are you doing with yourself? Oh, it fluctuates at the moment. I'm writing a lot of lists of shit I should be doing. But I, <laughs> I'm, no, I've been pretty productive. I've gotten really back into my running. I was not running a lot at all. I was doing like a lot of exercise in gyms and stuff, but um, now that we don't have that and I don't exactly have a great home workout set up going at my place. So, yeah, I've gotten really back into running. Um, I've gotten back into those, you know, those adult, coloring book yes which i know sounds silly but i'm like i've got all this time so why not um but i'm actually still working at the moment so nine to five for me hasn't changed all that much other than i don't have a commute now the commute is from my bedroom to my desk downstairs so yeah mainly running running's been a big one and spending time with um yeah with my partner really and that's about it so, with the running, is fitness something that's like a huge part of your life before ISO? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's not an aesthetic thing for me. It's more of a mental relief. Like, I can tell my bad days are usually days when I haven't exercised or I haven't done anything with my body or move. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I think when I first heard about the ISO, I got a little bit anxious. I thought, ooh, that's something that's going to be taken away from me and how am I going to deal with it but I think yeah it's really reignited I don't want to say a passion that I have for running because I'm not I'm not like a great runner but yeah it's definitely something I'm really enjoying I'm really enjoying I'm actually probably ironically spending more time outdoors now because <laughs> I am running <laughs> which the government's going to hear me yeah. and come and knock on my door but um yeah, it's been good. It's been good. It's been a nice, um, a nice change. I reckon that's um, indicative of a lot of people who are big gym people and you know fitness people. You've kind of, unless you do, uh, unless you're lucky enough to have a home gym, right now you kind of have to get out and walk and run. And I've been doing the same yeah. thing. Like I've been going for, uh, I've my knees are shit, so I can't run a lot. But I like the whole jog walk, jog walk thing. And it's so therapeutic, yeah. like you might have a podcast or music in, but it's still time where you're just, I don't know, you're looking at trees and you're just out there kind of in your own space and your own time. It's good. For sure. And it's a real head clearer, I find. Like when you're chucking tin around a gym, it comes from this place of, I don't know, I don't want to say anger. But or it's like, or aggression, it's yeah. So like, yeah, it is. It's aggressive, whereas like running is so repetitive and it's almost, um, I don't want to say hypnotic, but 
I guess doing that action over and over again, I guess in a way it kind of does lead into that, I don't want to say trance space, but you know, are you listening? Like are you listening to like music or a podcast or anything when you run? Yeah, I'm listening to music. I'm a bit sick of my music at the moment. I think I've exhausted every avenue. <laughs> um, I I do. I listen to some podcasts when I run, but I tend to find I have to come home and re-listen to bits of it again because I miss things or like my mind wanders off. So yeah, lots of music. Um, I listen to. Oh, this is going to just show. Oh, no, they're not classy, but they're pretty funny. And do you listen to Nikki and Lucy, Happy Hour with Nikki and Lucy? No, so are they on Brisbane Radio? Were they on? No, I don't know them. No. Tell me, tell me so about them. So they're on the Spin Network, which is um, this PR guy set up a bit of a thing. So essentially they have a clothing label called Jagger and Stone. Um, they've got a bit of an Instagram presence called We Are The Wild Ones. And they're just funny bitches like so so funny and it's just pretty much them on the wine talking about anything they can um and then on the polar opposite of that so that's like my guilty pleasure and then I'm also listening to all the women's health podcasts so uh, they've got some really interesting people they have come on and I think it's good because it's not necessarily always athletes like and that's why I listen to it to start with because I wanted to get more inspiration for my fitness and I thought oh, I'll listen to this and this will reignite that but the ones I've found that have resonated with me the most have been the ones that aren't athletes. I did one with Samantha Wills, the jewellery maker the other day and she's just had such an interesting story and yeah I've been thinking about it for like weeks now. Well I'm hoping that's what we'll uncover here. I'm hoping we'll uncover your interesting story that people will okay. go, oh, shit. Pressure is on. No, mate, no pressure at all. Um, so what was the last thing you had to eat? Um, what was it? Probably, oh, well, I've got a coffee now, so that's drink. Um, last thing I had to eat, I had muesli for breakfast. Yeah, that was the last thing. That's pretty boring, isn't it? Muesli, banana, peanut butter, cinnamon. Yeah. Is that a standard no. breakfast? Yes, that's very, like, I'm so boring with my breakfast. That's pretty much what I've had every day for a year other than the two months I was stuck on a beach or whatever. But, yeah, so tell me very basic with basic. Tell me you're as basic with all your other meals because I eat the same thing basically six days a week for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every week. Do you? Yeah, I'm so boring because I, I need the structure and if I don't have the structure – and I hate cooking. So it's like, I'm going to, I can go to the grocery, I can go to the supermarket, be in and out. I know the exact ingredients yeah. I need to make the same meals. Lunch is like brown rice with roast veggies. Um, dinner's a veggie burger in a wrap with a, with 100 grams of chips. And then breakfast is two bits of toast with four eggs. Like the same thing every day. Yeah. So you really, wow, that's amazing. I, I don't think I can do that. I think, um, yeah, my partner's a really good cook, but he actually keeps things, like, super interesting. Like, he makes, yeah, oh, my gosh, some of the stuff, I'm like, how did you do this? But, yeah, so it depends. If we're eating together, then it'll be something really good. If it's me eating on my own, it'll be something really shitty. <laughs> um, but I have, what do I have? Usually, I went through a stage where six months, I just had stuffed up, 10, quinoa, feta, pine nuts chicken mince, 
um, human. That was my lunch Monday to Friday, and then on the weekend I like eat out a fair bit. Yeah, you say that. And then dinners for me lately have been changing. Actually, I find I've gotten more creative now that I am stuck at home because I'm like, oh well. My days are the same boring shit. My food better be the interesting part. But yeah, I eat I eat a lot of like red meat. I grew up on a cattle station, so I eat a lot of red meat. I eat a lot of steak. Sorry to anyone listening to this. This is gonna offend you. But um, <laughs> have you seen Have you seen Game Changers on Netflix? No. Oh my god. How many Everyone people have told you? Telling me to watch it, and I refuse because I know. I have I don't have an addictive personality, but if I find something that I believe in, I run with it so bloody hard. So if I end up believing in this and really enjoying what I see, I'm gonna get disowned by my family. So it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So tell me about growing up on a cattle farm. What was that like? Um, yeah, it was pretty unique. It was it's funny because I think when I talk about it, my upbringing, a lot of people my age haven't had that upbringing because it's not as prevalent anymore. Um, so I, my mum is from Brisbane. My dad is from a cattle station in southwest Queensland, which has been in my family for over 100 years. A bit of a legacy. My great-grandfather bought it. My granddad took it off him, and then my dad's taken it off my grandfather. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. So people, when you talk about that kind of stuff, a lot of people are like, oh, it sounds like something in the movies, and it's, in a way, yeah, I guess you can kind of say that. Um, so, yeah, if I grew up, well, I grew up out there. When I was five, it, it came time for me to do my schooling. So, out there, you pretty much have two options. You either do school of the air, where you essentially learn over the phone or over a radio, which, again, sounds like something out of a movie, or you go away to boarding school. So... My mum didn't want to homeschool her. She thought she wasn't going to be a very good teacher, which is probably fair enough. (laughs) And um, I went to boarding school when I was five. So, yeah, I... um, How far away was was boarding school from the farm? It was an hour and a half. So every Monday morning, we'd wake up at like 4.30. Mum would get ready for school. We'd drive an hour and a half on a dirt road. Mama drop us off. Um, we stay there Monday through Friday, so four nights, and then Friday afternoon she'd pick us up and we'd go home for the weekend. So you have brothers and sisters as well? Just one brother um, for about 15 months apart. Okay. It's a blessing and a curse was all at the, the same time, I think. What was that? I guess it's hard to comment because you, you didn't know anything else, but how hard was that? Like as a five-year-old, as a six-year-old, and even through your teen years I'm guessing like when you're going through all this stuff and you just want your parents around and they're not there yeah what was that like you become um very seriously independent it's almost stubbornly so and I even find it now with my day-to-day life I'm like Daisy it's okay to ask for help you don't need to go through this on your own and yeah it was tough and I definitely was not a kid that like thrived at school, I wasn't very sporty. I wasn't very athletic. I really, uh, I was like, I was, yeah, I know it's weird. I had this, like light bulb moment when I finished school where I was like, exercise is everything. <laughs> but at school, I was, I was never like that. I always had my head in a book or like 
sat, like I used to sit on a garden bed by myself at lunchtime with a discman and listening to CDs. Like I was never what CDs out we, playing soccer. What CDs were you listening oh, to? My first CD was ABBA. Like it was ABBA's greatest hit. <laughs> well, I know. So mum was like, mum manipulated me. We, I remember we walked into, because we didn't get to the city that much and we walked into Sanity and <laughs> mum was like, yep, I'll buy you first CD, pick what you want. And I remember there was like some hip hop album and ABBA were the two choices. And I'd seen this hip hop album advertised on TV and I was really leaning towards that. And mum said, no, I think you'll really like ABBA. <laughs> so I think it was more for her benefit than for mine. But yeah, my first CD was ABBA. My second CD was Brandy. Oh, Do you yeah. Remember her? Yeah, yeah. 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 So I really liked, um, I was really into Brandy. She was my jam. I thought I was Brandy, I reckon. But they were kind of the two I alternated between. And I think my third CD was Shakira. Yeah, okay. That was my rotation. I have a really similar story to going to buy my first CD. I, I was hyped up. I would have been maybe 11 or 12 and I was keen as to get the Spice Girls CD. And when I oh. got there, I was too embarrassed to buy the Spice Girls because I thought everyone would make fun of me. So the decision I made was to buy Hanson. Wait, over the Spice Girls? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you were worried about people making fun of you. Exactly. Make any sense. No, because in my head at that age, I was like, well, I'm a... This is, I guess this talks about society and the things they put in kids' heads, but I was like, I'm a boy. I can't go and get yeah. a girl's music. I need to get music that's done by boys. And that's honestly at the time what I thought. Whereas to, thi- to this day, I love them both equally now. Great, great yeah. icons of Rest 90s in music. Tommy Cases. <laughs> Rest in peace, Tommy Cases. I don't know. What would it be? Pride, I guess. Yeah, God, bloody oath. Yeah. <laughs> in the grave with the handsome CD. That's it. So... I mean, did you form a, an especially close bond with your brother through that uh, time? No. I mean, we're tight. We are tight. He's, um, we're very different. Like, he's quite quiet and reserved. Um, we're similar in the way that neither of us are, were very good at sport and usually had our heads in books and have the old discipline in, I guess. Um, yeah, we're both, we're both similar in ways that, like, lone wolf type characters I guess if you will yeah but yeah we weren't super tight um I never had a lot of friends growing up like I was never the kid that was in the cool group or had you know a big bunch of girls around her I think it's also tricky because that town where I went to boarding school had a 450 people in it and there were 28 students in the school I went to and there were eight boarders so through my whole schooling, the most there ever was in my grade was four girls. So that's not a lot of choice. Like when you think about it, when you've grown up in, I don't know, metropolitan Melbourne or anywhere metropolitan really, like you have thousands of choice. And if you fall out with someone, you move on to the next person. Like it's not the be all and end all. Whereas out there, if you fell out with someone, that might be your one friend. Like there isn't really another group to kind of shuffle onto. So, yeah, it was um, it was a interesting life. Also, the boarding school was run by, like, two Catholic nuns. So the people that taught me to read, to write, to socialise, to, I don't know, my daily routine, how 
my values. Like I've been raised very religiously because I have been raised by two nuns, which I, I think I carry some values into my life now, but I definitely don't consider myself like a very religious person. So how long did you do the boarding school for? Was that all the way up to year 12? Like one to 12, yeah. yeah. So I've always been a boarder. So I've never had a packed lunch from mum. I've never had, like, mum tuck me in at night after a long day of school. Um, my How Was Your Day chat happened at 6 p.m. when the Richardson rostered phone time was. So when, when we got to use the landline to speak to our parents. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of things that I think I missed out on. But at the same time, there's a lot of things I gained too, like, I think it's made me very fierce and it's made me realise that the only person that can change a situation is self. And, yeah, there's definitely things that I'm very grateful for too. I don't want to say, oh, yeah, I was enslaved by the system. Oh, no, 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 totally. But, yeah, but yeah, there's definitely things I've missed out on. I think, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of my relationship with my parents now that they're not strangers, but they're definitely, I think, people that, would come home to their parents every day would have a stronger relationship, you know? What, what, how do you reckon it's formed your relationships with men? Well, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> in this day and age, you can't assume a woman is interested in a man, but you're, no, I'm you're, in men, so yeah, that's yeah. Fine. You've got it right. Yeah. Now on the head. <laughs> I saw the way you looked at Lockie in All Stars. Was... Oh God! Don't bring this up again. I'm already in the doghouse. Don't bring this up. Okay. Okay. Apologies. Um, how do you reckon that's formed your romantic relationships as an adult? Because, as you said, there's only four people in your year level at school, yeah. right? So you're not having that going to a party on a weekend. Well, I mean, you might have once you went home, but you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the bonds you form after school and parties on the weekend yeah. that you're kind of getting interested in the opposite sex or the same sex, depending on what you're into. Um, yeah. How's that, do you reckon, had an impact on your romantic relationships? Oh, it definitely has. Um, I should probably say to make it, I went to a bigger boarding school for high school. So I came down to Brisbane then. Okay. Um, I went to, a, it was an all-girls school then though. Yeah. So I went to that um and i think when you go to like a single sex school it's a bit detrimental to how people interact with each other because like you almost put the other sex on a bit of a pedestal like we used to sneak out so much to go see the other boys borders and like you know it was the be all and end all the go to parties because that was the only time that we could actually interact with them and we felt like our arm was cut off if mum denied you leave or if the supervisor said you couldn't go. We're like, hey, this, is, this is our lives you're ruining when you're a dramatic teenager. Um, yeah, I think I, uh, I don't want to, uh, yeah, it's probably not a lie. I struggle to get close to people. And I think you have a lot of trust issues in a way too. Because when you're at boarding school, you're very much a number and you're very much get your voice heard, voice heard, you need to be the loudest or the strongest or you need to be at the top of the pack. And it is very much like a pack mentality. So then when it comes time, I know when I first left school to living in like a share house, and I was like, oh, cool. So 
no one's going to tell me when to wash my clothes and no one's going to tell me what time I have to have dinner and no one's going to tell me what I need to be doing minute by minute because when you're being like supervised in a, in a group, they have to have these really rigid schedules in place. So you're kind of being given all this freedom after 12 years in a system going, oh, shit, how do I um, deal with that? So, and it's the same with dating. Like it was always so regulated because you were in a system. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's affected it in that way because, I don't know, yeah, I, you do struggle to get close to people. I think, I think all of us that go to boarding schools have a few um, attachment issues <laughs> with our, because of leaving our parents so young. Totally, mate. That'd be really hard. And then, like, props to you for being able to go through it and then come through the other side as a functioning person. Like, a lot of people would struggle. Mm, am I be- functioning? Would be a- no, I'm functioning. <laughs> I'm functioning for now. So then what was that like after boarding school? You came to, you went to Brisbane straight away? I did. What uh, was that yeah, like? So I went to boarding school in Brisbane. Yep. Um, and then when I finished school, I went home for a little bit. And then I think I came back. But yeah, it was good. I, 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 like I said, didn't really enjoy school. So when I finished school, I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! I could do whatever I want." Did you go a bit? I want. Did you go a bit crazy with the uh, no structure, no rules, and no nuns here to tell me what to do? So I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Uh, I did, but I think I was already a little bit crazy in high school. Like I got really naughty. And I felt really sorry for my mum. She put up with so much shit. Thank you so much, Jenny. You were a sister. But like she was getting a call from like the school every second week being like, Daisy's done this again. Daisy's started an all-style food fight. Daisy's snuck out to see a boy and the fire alarm's gone off and has woken up all the boarders. Daisy's gotten drunk at a semi-formal and can't walk. Can you come and pick her up? Like it's just, Oh, oh Daisy. Just, it got to the end of high school and I think mum went, well, you made it. Like that was, her bar had been lowered <laughs> so far at that point that she was just glad to see me get the piece of paper and walk out those doors. Yep. But, um, yeah, so yeah, I loved, I loved finishing school. I was like, this is awesome. And yeah, I think I really came into my own. Like I found, um, like I said, a passion fitness and realized that that was more you know it was something I found really enjoyable so it was all this stuff I kind of had lots of light bulb moments when I think so something I want to try here is something I haven't done before but you know when you go onto google and you type in someone's name and it comes up with like yes. predictive answers of what they what google thinks you're going to type yes so it comes up with 10 things automatically and I've picked my three things that I want to talk to yep. you from the, those 10. So the first one is obviously Survivor. Yeah. What was the experience like? I guess the main question is, so you're on Survivor uh, Champs vs. Contenders. Yep. You were then voted out of that season. And then how long a gap did you have before you went straight into All-Stars? So I was voted out on day 41 in Champs vs. Contenders. In Jury Villa, on, so I hadn't even had 48 hours to process the game that just went. In Jury Villa on what probably would have been day 43 in the game, the head of Survivor Australia asked me to come back. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, when? And she said, oh, in six weeks' time. 
What? And you've got to remember, at that point, we'd been away from home for two months because they fly you to Fiji and they do a lot of admin stuff before you actually get plonked on the beach to start the game. And you... I was going to be in Jury Villa for another week before we went home. Right. So essentially, I was away for two months. They were asking me to go home for six weeks which is a less amount of time than what I've just been away for yep. and then potentially do another two months. So um, I was hesitant at first, but I think my hesitations were, oh, shit, I just wanted to get home and enjoy my life a little bit before I did this crazy-ass thing again. Yep. It was never it was never really, oh, do I really want to do this again? But I definitely did. Um, so, yeah, that turnaround is crazy. And especially because Survivor has such like a physical packs on you like you lose a lot of muscle you lose a lot of weight you definitely lose all your fitness so then like i'd, I'd trained for months the champions first contenders and they were telling me that i had six weeks to turn it all around and come back again what effect did it have on your mental health like there was the time just before you got voted out of champs first contenders that you were on exile yeah. beach what was that actually like and how long were you on exile beach for? on exile beach yeah yeah um i can hand on heart say that exile beach is the hardest thing i've ever done and probably will be the hardest thing i will do um i'm actually quite grateful for the editing of that because they gave it to me quite gracefully like i had a full-on panic attack out there and that would have made it would have made great TV. It would have. People love seeing people struggle and crumble, and for some reason, I don't know why they've decided not to show that. So thank you, whoever that was. So when you say um, you have a panic attack, Exile Beach for people who haven't watched Survivor is literally you got voted out, but then you had to go to another part of the beach where there's no one there, there's no shelter, you got nothing. You just have to wait yeah. there. How long were you waiting there for? That um, it was almost three days. So what happens is you go to tribal council. I got voted to Exile Beach. I walk out with my torch. They take you to Exile Beach where you walk in in the dark. So it'll be you don't know time on Survivor, but I'm going to say it's approximately ten o'clock. Yeah. Um, you walk in. You have a pot, a flint, a machete, and that's it. So it's in the dark. So you and you've never been to this beach before. So if you imagine going to a foreign place in the dark. You don't know where anything is. You, you can't build a shelter with no light and being in the dark. So essentially, I got there that night. I put my bag down and I, I slept under a tree. Like that was, that's how your experience starts. There's a cameraman filming you there, but they're not allowed to talk to you. They are just standing there to observe you, the night cameraman. So I slept underneath the next morning got to work. I was feeling pretty good. I was like, whatever. At least I've been given a second chance to get back into the game. I, it could have been much worse. I could have gone to the jury. I built a kick-ass shelter. It took me a, a little while to get a fire going, but I got it going. And that night, I was kicked back, you know, boiling my pot of rice with my kick-ass shelter. I'm like, I didn't need them anyway. Whatever. <laughs> I'm killing this. I'm the exile queen. I, oh, I'm I thought I was so happy with myself. So and there's then, a camera um, person there that whole time. Yeah. And are you talking to the camera at all, saying all that sort of shit? Um, well, you have to go away and do what they call confessional. So they, they then they can talk to you essentially, and they ask 
you questions about how you're feeling, what yeah, you're okay. doing, um, what what's going to be your plan forward from here if you do get back into the game. So I did that, um, and I went to bed that night, and I was like, I was like, how cool is this going to be? Whoever gets sent here next to join me is going to see all this stuff that I've done, and you know, I've managed to keep myself afloat. And that night, at what I reckon would have been about midnight, was essentially the worst weather that Australian Survivor had ever seen. Like, it was a torrential storm which came off the back of a cyclone, I think. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know because, again, we weren't getting weather at date. But <laughs> you couldn't just I've get seen, on your phone and check the Bureau, Bureau of Meteorology and see what's going yeah, on. Which way is the wind <laughs> But um, <laughs> Yeah, so it just poured. It poured and I've never seen rain like that in my life. And I, I don't know if I ever will see it again. But my shelter held up for about an hour or two because it's made out of it's all natural stuff and you know it was palm fronds and my fire went out because it didn't have a shelter over the top of it and um i i just was drenched like there was nothing no piece of anything on me that was dry it was like i'd been sitting in a pool fully closed yeah and i thought it's okay laugh through it it'll be fine this will pass this will pass and it just didn't it just kept raining and the they changed the cameraman changed shift it poured so much that the cameraman under their umbrella with their driver zone the camera still broke like there was that much water and so there's a whole heap of footage i think that was missed um yeah i was just falling my eyes out in this shelter and the laughter just turned to tears so quickly and um i'd actually cut the top of my thumb off a couple of days earlier, which was they were redressing it every day, the paramedics. So the cameraman said to me, the paramedic's going to come out and look at your thumb in a minute. And I said, okay, no worries. They said, you're going to have to come out from the shelter. And I said, all right, well, I'll come out. The very last second they need me, like I think I had a little patch about this big dry on my stomach from where I'd like cuddled up. Um, So yeah, the paramedic came out, I stuck my thumb out and he said, just stick your thumb out for me and I'll redress it. So he's doing it under an umbrella. And he felt my fingers and he said, oh, I'm going to need to take the temperature. And I, I was already crying. I'm like, what's why? What are you <laughs> He said, and like, you know, medical people are trained not to panic. So he checked my temperature and he said, all right, you've got 20 more minutes of this. You can stay still for 24 minutes. If it's for 20 more minutes, if it continues to rain, you need to strip off everything you are wearing and run laps up and down the beach to warm yourself up because you're going to go into hypothermia. Like that's that's where we're at now. And again, they can't like save you. They can't take you out of the game. I think in your contract it says if things get really bad, they can take you out for 24 hours and have no effect. But whilst there were still seven other people huddled up together on a beach surviving because they had each other, they couldn't take me out and not take them out. So, yeah, the rain continued, and that's what I did. I stripped down into my underwear and started running laps up and down the beach. And um, I, I was, like, crying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> mate. <laughs> and then um, it, the rain finally stopped. But then the thing is, when you've had that much rain, there's just no dry, like, kindle or anything to start a fire. So from sun up till sundown, I tried to start a fire and 
couldn't do it essentially. So I started walking around in circles, looking at the ground and I started chanting to myself. I looked down like a crazy woman, but I started chanting to myself and I was like, I'm the country girl that can't do it. I'm the country girl that can't light a fire. Australia's going to hate me. They're going to think I'm And what are my parents going to think when they see this? So, um, yeah, I think at about 4.30 p.m. approximately, I'm going to say, was when I finally got fired. Did you almost break down again because you started the fire? Like, I would have just oh, broken... I did, I did break down. I was like, it's a miracle. <laughs> Jesus has come. No, I wasn't like that. But, um, yeah, it was... I, I can't even explain the joy when I first started seeing, like, the flames yep. go up. Because, yeah, I hadn't eaten in 24 hours either because I couldn't cook anything. Oh. So, so then... So, yeah, so that goes, this all is over like a 48-hour period. And then is it that night or the next night, Simon gets there. I have a shelter built, a fire, perfect, cooked rice for him. And essentially he breezes out, breezes in, spends one night in the shelter, wakes up the next morning, eats my rice, and then we go to the challenge together where he beats me. How rude. How rude. How inconsiderate from Simon Black. Oh. Well, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's funny because I'm like, I'm kind of grateful now. Like I said, it, it sucks that, you know, after all that, he still beat me. But I think if he was who I was kind of closest with at that point in the game. And I think if anyone else had turned up and used the facilities and then beaten me, I probably would have hated them forever. But because <laughs> it was Blackie, I was like, no, that's fine. He's a good bloke. It's okay. Do you reckon there's any part of you? Obviously, when you then had the challenge with Simon... You, were, you needed to win that to get back in the game. And obviously you mm. wanted to win, clearly, because you'd come so far. But was there any part of you that was like, after the three days that you'd had, was there any part of you that was like, okay, this is done. Like, not that I'm glad I didn't win and get back in, but was any part of you relieved yeah. that you could sort of let that go and sort of have your own time again? For sure. I think... I remember watching my exit interview now as I left the challenge, they kind of filmed me. And I had the biggest smile on my face, which is crazy. Like, I just lost the opportunity to win half a million dollars. And I'm, like, grinning ear to ear. (laughs) But I think I I knew that, you know, my journey on Survivor of that season had come to an end. And it was okay. Like, I was going to get in a car and talk to my mum and, eat as much as I wanted and I think after three days like that it was just like knowing it was the end of the torture yeah that makes sense yeah yeah so the second google thing that I'd like to talk to you about is flight center when you type in Daisy Richardson flight center is one of the automatic responses that comes up so flight center so you're a travel agent I am yep so how have you always wanted to be a travel agent uh, no, no, I, I went to uni and studied law for six months and I went to uni and studied social, what was it called? Human services. Cause I wanted to get into psychology. Yeah. So, um, very, two very different things. I kind of both times started studying what was me. I moved overseas and I came back and I kind of thought, all right, I'll be a primary school teacher. Um, I applied for a uni course, which they then withdrew the mid-year intake. So 
flight center for me was an interim job. It was something I was going into because I was waiting another six months before my uni course started again. And my cousin had worked there and she got me a gig and I thought, all right, this is pretty good. Um, and I loved it. I loved the company. I loved working for them. So here we are four and a half years later, didn't teach. And uh, yeah, I'm still working for them. And still loving it? Um, I think it's hard to love things after you have an experience like Survivor because the bar is set so much higher now. Like I used to, I used to be great at what I did and I'm, I'm still very passionate about it, but I think a little bit of the spark has been lost for me in a way and I think I need to figure out what it is to reignite it. And right now with everything going on, um, I mean, it's, it's obvious. Flight Center isn't in the best place it's ever been. No one is, really. Oh, of course, because of travel. Bloody hell. What a, yeah. 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 Like, no one's in a great spot right now unless you're the CEO of a hand sanitizer company <laughs> or, yeah, <laughs> something, something like that. But, um, yeah, so right now my role has changed a lot. Like yeah, okay. Like, dealing with essentially, it's not booking people's dream holidays, it's sampling them. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Right now, it's not it's not the greatest job in the world, but it will get better. What's your dream job? Mm, my dream job. I'd like to have my own business. I really like the idea of working for myself. Um. Yeah, I I've really looked at opening up a cafe for a really long time now because I really enjoy. Like, my energy comes from being around and speaking with other people and meeting people. So I think something like that would be, would be what I would like to do in the long term. Yep. Um, also, lately, I've had a real, I don't know whether it gets so reflective, you know, so don't you, everyone comes up with these crazy ideas. But, yeah, even, I think, having a bit of a, more of a quiet existence and living on a farm, not where I grew up, but somewhere a little bit closer to suburbia I think yeah and you know just so I, I really like the concept of being self-sufficient so something okay. like that yeah would be cool too that's so interesting because that's not very common anymore these days like I guess you've come from the farm so you're a little more inclined that way but not yeah. I can't imagine many 25 year olds but yeah 25. many yeah. 25 year olds would come out of something like Survivor and go, oh, I might just move out to the suburbs and, yeah, or have some acreage somewhere and that's yeah, so interesting. I, I just like the idea of being around animals and stuff and I think that comes from me growing up around animals and I think, like, yeah, I, I struggled to see a life with kids, like having kids and then not having the opportunity to learn how to ride a horse or, you know, like I grew up, I used to walk down to the cattle yard with my granddad when I was three every morning and milk a cow. And it's like how many, how many people by hand too? Like it's not like in a big factory, you know. Like how many people can say that that was how they got their breakfast every morning? So yeah, part of me thinks that, and then there's this other part of me that's like, you know, create a really successful business and push forward with that and have a really structured routine and. You know, so I think I'm torn a bit either way with which way I could go. Well, I mean, if you do open up a cafe, obviously you've mentioned that your partner's a great cook. So, I mean, chef already sorted. 
I think he's already given himself a kitchen roll. He says that all the time. Every time he comes to dinner, he's like, if I was in a cafe, people would be getting this magnificent delight. Oh, my God. Humble pie, boy. Humble pie. <laughs> um, and the third thing, the third Google um, predictive question about you that I want to ask you about is endometriosis. Now, as a boy, yeah. I, pro- I mean, I probably should have done my research, but tell me what endometriosis is and how it affects you. Okay, endometriosis is essentially where the tissue lining that is meant to grow inside your uterus grows in sporadic spots in your body. So it's usually in the abdomen area. I'm saying that I found it as high up as like the armpit and places like that now. So it's, they can't really say that's just where it grows anymore. So essentially the only thing I have ever been able to liken it to when I explain it to people is in a way, it's like cancer. It comes out of nowhere. It grows wherever it wants. At the moment, we don't know why it, why it comes or where it comes from, and we don't have a cure for it. So it's just this tissue that's growing wherever it wants. So if you think about it, if it's pushing onto an ovary or your stomach or your intestines or anything like that, it's, it's really painful. Um, with it comes a lot of, symptom it's a chronic illness so it has a lot of chronic illness symptoms like fatigue um oh i'm having a complete mind blank now isn't that funny i've talked about it all day yesterday and now i can't talk about it at all that's all right yeah so fatigue um pain that's not relative to how much you have either like you may have two centimeters of it and have pain that relative to that of labour and then people can have it everywhere and not know they've got it at all. Um, and the only way to diagnose it at this stage is to have a laparoscopy. So it doesn't appear on a lot of scans and a lot of ultrasounds. So the only way they can diagnose it is to physically cut you open and check if it's there. So how does it how does it get medi- how do you fix it? How, like how do you medicate uh, well, it's a, it's a inflammatory disease. So essentially there's not one best way at the moment, which is a shame. I feel like more research needs to be done into that. Um, how I medicate it personally, I take anti-inflammatory. I eat a lot of anti-inflammatory food. I um, ex- exercise regularly so that inflammation is at a lower point when you're eating a lot of fattier foods and whatever that makes it work. Um, but other than that, there isn't really that much you can do and while those things may help they're not 100% hard and fast going to work so there'll be some days where I will be walking home from work and will cripple down in pain and won't be able to move for half an hour and will be ripping on the concrete and essentially there's nothing I can do there's nothing I can do like I can take my painkiller and wait for that to kick in but essentially yeah it's um uncurable if you will at this stage and it's pretty com- uh, is it common it is common yeah it's i think the statistic is like one in 10 women have it or something yeah wow yeah it's crazy that there's nothing you can do you kind of just like if you're in pain you're just like cool we'll have some neurofin or have some whatever the stronger medication that you have is but have yeah. you had times where you've taken it and then that hasn't made anything better and you're just in pain for days and there's nothing you can do? What was it like when you were on for the sure. on Survivor? On Survivor, yeah. Um, I was really, weirdly, I was really lucky in season three. I only had three 
flare-ups and they were pretty minor. Um, I And then I went back to All Stars, was only there for a week, and I had three major flare-ups. So I'm like, go figure, 41 days and then seven days, and I yep. get worse than I had in the 41. But, um, Can they give you your yeah. medication? <laughs> uh, they can, but it's only on like a really have-to basis. And there isn't a paramedic on your beach at all times. Like there's someone that checks you over before and after the challenges, but there's not a nurse waiting for you to say, hey, I need a Neurofen or hey, I need a Meloxicam. So um, a lot of the time Sorry. you're waiting for hours to get that painkiller. Yeah, so, right. Because they've got to come from somewhere. Like I know I had a massive flare-up on the night that ironically I got voted out anyway. Um, but I had to wait until I got to tribal council to get the medication for it, which was then four hours down the track anyway. So I just like laid on the beach on Lockie's lap waiting for it to pass essentially. Mate, that's shit. Yeah, it was shit. And it was, it was shit for the people around me because they're like, we can't help you. We, we can't get them to help you because they can't help you either. So like, you just got to kind of get through it. And it's um, tricky in the dating world too. It's like, Anything, it's not sexual health, but anything that is like genitalia or reproductively related is quite taboo. People go, period, don't want to talk about that, but can't deal with it. So when you're trying to explain to someone that you maybe have just started seeing or you're about to get into an intimate situation with that, hey, I may lose a couple of cups of blood here. Um, it's, It's pretty embarrassing and it's, it's not just embarrassing. It's like there's no easy way to say it and there's no, like, delicate ladylike way to say it either. It's just what happens. Well, it's putting yourself in even more of a vulnerable situation. Like, you can go home and be intimate with someone and, you know, not open up and talk about your feelings. But opening up and telling someone that intimate detail about you is making yourself really vulnerable, which is shit because a lot of... I mean, a lot of people aren't. A lot of people are childish and would go, "Oh, yuck, no, nah, sorry, like not interested," which is bullshit. Because yeah. I guess it's one of those illnesses and diseases that you can't see it. Therefore, well, I don't really understand it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you can be crippled over in pain, and if I can't see it, some people are like, "Well, I don't get. What do you mean? Just get over it." For sure, for sure, it's not like a really badass broken femur that you're like, "Oh yeah." You- you know, fuck yourself up on a footy field or whatever. Yeah. Like, I can see you're in a cast, you know, how sorry I feel for you because, you know, I can watch the replay yeah. and see what happened. It's something that's literally going on behind or under the surface. And, um, yeah, people do struggle to empathise with things they can't see because they don't know how to relate to it. I know, I remember the first time I heard about chronic fatigue, I remember thinking, oh, he was tired, something's wrong with you. And now... Chronic fatigue is one of the symptoms I have with yeah. my illness. One of my oh, days, you're not just tired. <laughs> and I guess men, like mental illness is another form of that that a lot of people don't have empathy for. Just because you can't see someone's illness doesn't mean they don't have one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think um, there's a study that I think Monash University did that talks about the correlation between people with chronic illnesses and their mental health because it's hard for people to, to, to explain even now, like I've, 
been diagnosed for over four years and I'm struggling to explain what I have. And so it makes it even harder for people to emphasize this because they're like, oh, they don't even fully know what's going on, which is correct. We don't fully know what's going on because the doctors don't even fully know what's going on. Mate, I'm, I really appreciate you being so honest and opening up about that because I'm sure that's something that a lot of women, clearly one in 10, will have to de- or will do deal with. So I do really yeah. appreciate you being open. But now it's time where we're going to hopefully go a bit lighter here in the chat and it's time for this. Big call. So I've asked you to come prepped with a big call. Daisy, what have you got for me? Um, I think that that's a cover-up. I think COVID-19 <laughs> is a weaponized virus created by China. Um, I honestly do. I honestly, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, it's just too convenient. All fingers are pointing in one direction. So, and oh yeah, I think the fact that the world hasn't reacted in a in a bigger way towards China kind of proves well not proves that but supports that like the wet markets are back open again you know no one from another country is stepping in to saying hang on you brought the world to its knees because these things were open I think it wasn't from the wet markets at all there was no no chewy tasty bats um there's something Cigarette play here. Whoa, mate. Conspiracy Theories 101 with Daisy Richardson. Mate, you need to start your own podcast. You've been thinking oh. too much in ISO, mate. No, I don't. <laughs> Way too much. And you watch this podcast and get scrubbed from the internet to China. China will be like, <laughs> no, she's on to us. We can't have this on the airwaves. Oh, mate. That's brilliant. I love that. Just a different way of thinking. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'll be called a crazy watch. I've got so many DMs flies being on this chick. Oh, mate. Well, we've come to the end. Daisy, thank you so much for having a chat, and I really appreciate your time and how open you've been. So, again, Daisy Richardson, thanks so much for having a chat. Thanks, Tommy.